This morning to 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to be less discussion focused today than I, t- I try to be, and I'm going to do that on purpose, and more content focused on the actual text. Because it is very important for me that you would be able to think and, and say it, articulate it. That's something I always try to do first hour, is to get you talking about your faith. But um, today I want to focus on what the text says, what it means, and how it applies. And that's in 1 John, and we're looking in chapter 1, where we have this phrase that I think summarizes Christian fellowship and the spiritual life, walking in the light as he himself is in the light. Walking in the light as he himself is in the light. Let's go to verse 5. We looked uh, last week, uh, verses 1 through 4 in detail, and I'm I'm not going through all the way through 1 John, it's just chapter 1. 1 through 4 establishes that fellowship comes for the church-age believer with, comes, comes between us and God through the apostles, through what they wrote, the word of God, which illuminates us to the truth that God thinks so that we'll know who he is. And that's how he does it. It's a channel called special revelation or <clears throat> apostolic special revelation. So now let's talk about living in the light of that revelation in chapter five or one verses five through 10, where the apostle John is going to give us some theology proper and some applications from the fact of God's being light. In verse 5, we have what I call the theological focus of fellowship. The theological meaning of God. It's God as the focus of the Christian life, not me. It's not man-focused, it's God-focused. That's why verse 5 says, and this is the message which we heard from Jesus Christ, says John, the apostle, and we proclaim to you that God is light. In context, we're going to find he means God the Father, but God in general is true. But God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And now we have a figure. We have an idea that we need to understand about the nature, the character of God. What does it mean that he is light, and in him is no darkness at all? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that if you can identify the physical properties of actual light, visible and invisible, in the electromagnetic spectrum, that you found the essence of God. It doesn't mean that God is actually physical light. The physical phenomena, phenomenon of light is not what he means. That that's what, what he means is that the description that he is making of light, what, what aspect of light he is using as an image is the way to think about God. And it's in terms of contrast. It's very simple. Little children can understand it. Not darkness, light. And John uses this concept a lot to describe the righteousness of God. He uses this concept to describe the holiness of God, the glory of God. And you can see how light connects to glory and to to understanding. In the dark, you can't see where you're going. You stumble around and stub your toe and hurt yourself. In the light, you can see. You can see what you're doing. There is illumination. But we're not talking just about God revealing himself when he says he's light. He's not just self-disclosure. He is revealing himself. His righteousness. That's the concept. It is the perfect righteousness of God that John is alluding to when he says God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Let me prove it. Darkness would be a reference to. Say it. Come on. The three. Yeah. Evil or sin. The three letter word that nobody wants to acknowledge. Sin. And that's what he's going to do in context. There's no shade of darkness. There's no sin in God. So the alternative would be the moral perfection of him. His righteousness. 
He doesn't use the word dikaiosune as Paul will use, but that's the concept. And that's why you say, well, Paul talks about dikaiosune. John doesn't really talk. Yes, he does. He, he calls it light. He talks about God's righteousness in terms of light. And so now we have five rationales, five truth rationales, I call them, ways of thinking, five propositions that are um, logical in their presentation. First is that we tell lies about fellowship with God, the lie rationale, where you're lying about fellowship. And he introduces this concept of lying. By the way, lying is a sin, and God doesn't sin, and he doesn't lie. And so the specific aspect of light that we're talking about is now truth. And that, see, he, John has all these categories as one motion. He is very complex in his presentation, and I'm trying to pick things apart and see the different little pieces. But John, when you read John's writings, it's like listening to a symphony. And I'm trying to sound out the second violin part, okay? I'm trying to pull out what, can I hear the oboe as distinct from the clarinets? And, and I think that's a good thing to do, but it's challenging. And so I do, I do want you to understand the scriptures are saying God is light, there's no darkness, and the first thing we're going to find out that differs with him is a lie. If we should say that fellowship we are having with him, and while in the darkness we're walking, then we're lying and we're not practicing the truth. That's not a good French or Bible translation, but that is the Greek into English, into the way we, we sequence things in English. You're in an ongoing problem. You have a habit or you're in the moment just doing this problem of lying and, and not practicing the truth. And this is Christendom. This is American Christendom. This is on fire for God Christendom that isn't filled with the Spirit by the Word of Christ. This is non-biblical, post-biblical Christianity. A very popular pastor recently said, the basis for the Christian faith is not the Bible. It's Christ. And the reason he said that true statement is because he is distancing himself from the simple statements of the Scriptures. And he doesn't want the Bible to be the basis for his understanding of Christ. He wants it to be inner light, inner impressions, feelings. That is the second coming of Friedrich Schleiermacher. That is how you get to what we call liberalism in theology. The denial of miracles. I'm embarrassed about Genesis 1 through 11 and creation. Well, science says you can't have a young earth. You have to have an old earth because the rocks tell you how old they are by what fossils are in them. And we know how old the fossils are by what rocks they're in right? And so since we're embarrassed because science says or rationalism says or philosophy says, we uh, say, well, I can't get it from the scriptures anymore. And it's my inner impressions, my inner sense of Christ. That's just, that's just historic Christian liberalism. And um, what you end up with is you get to do whatever you want. And now we're gathering together teachers that tell us what we want to hear in 2 Timothy 4. And we're getting our ears tickled in these things. No, it's the scriptures. If we should say we're having fellowship with him while we're walking in darkness, then we're lying. We're not practicing the truth. And that is uh, a lot of thrashing of your culture right now. There is an objective truth in this statement that you can know. You can know the truth. And you can be accountable to God for telling it. But this is the first statement against the light, that we're walking in darkness. Now, what does it mean to walk in darkness? It doesn't specifically mean that walking in darkness means lying. That's the specific way he's pointing out darkness. But he's very general, walking in darkness. What would that mean to walk in darkness? 
Yeah, we're walking in sin. Walking in sin. So what, huh? Sin? Well, I think you people are legalists if you're going to say that because we all sin. We all have a sin nature. We all know we do what we do, and, and we just sin. And, and, and so Jesus paid for my sin, so you're making an issue of sin. I'm not. John is. When he says walking in darkness, he doesn't mean positionally identified with darkness or sin. That's your position in Adam. That's your, that's your position in the sin nature and the flesh before you believed in Christ, became a new creature. He's talking about Christians walking, practicing sinfully. And yet saying that they're having fellowship with God, our technical term that we, we derive from this context, fellowship with God, to be in a personal rapport, connectedness with him on his terms, enjoying him in common with him and enjoying his character and his righteousness with him. That's what fellowship means, koinonia, to have something in common. So if we say we have fellowship we're, uh, with him and we're walking in the darkness, then we're lying and not practicing the truth. That's rationale number one. And it does not simply apply to unbelievers. Well, I'm a Christian, so this isn't for me. This is to thrash you and me in that moment when we see ourselves as sinful. Oh no, not in fellowship, not having fellowship with God because I'm walking, practicing sinfully. And there are patterns of sin you can get trapped in where it's your lifestyle. No, not for you. Look at your life. Look at your lifestyle. What behaviors, habits, practices are you involved in which amount to walking, living sinfully? Then you stop it right now. Don't wait till you feel like stopping it. It's going to hurt too bad. Stop now. Take it to the Lord. Confess your sin and don't do it anymore. Well, I, I would have to stop doing it. <laughs> and we know we're not going to do that. Well, don't lie. Now, here's the other. Now, the person, the Christian that wants to walk in darkness and just says, yeah, I know, I'm walking in darkness. That's a short trip to, uh, to hurt. That's a short trip to some serious discipline because you become aware. And I would challenge you don't, don't play with God. I just want to know he's there. You're going to find out in a hard way because it's called divine discipline. But the first rationale, telling lies about fellowship with God. The second one is a positive one, the concept of light and fellowship in verse 7. But if in the light we are walking as he himself is in the light. See, now it's not that he is light, it's that he's in the light. I think this is position versus experience. His essence is light, is righteousness. His practices are righteous. He's in the light. And if we're walking in the light as he himself is in the light, then what? Fellowship we're having with one another. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, is cleansing us from all sin. How do I know that I'm being cleansed from all sin? How do I know? I'm walking in the light. How do I know I'm walking in the light? I'm looking at myself. I'm making some, not... Not focusing on self, but making an evaluation of self in light of God and his word and what he said to me. And here's the thing about looking, your eyes. You have to look at you. You have to. The Christian message, when we say it's not about us, it's about God. It's not that we don't self-evaluate. It's that we don't self-fixate. You know, you get an idea that bounces around in your head and you can't, you, you just, you're addled. Your brain is just, is just scrambled. Because you're hung up and, and struggling, right? We, we all struggle with this. 
There's a way out of that. There's a way out of that maze of the pinball of thought bouncing around in our head where really it's just a limitation. We've closed the windows of our soul to the Word of God, to the person of God, and we're just fixating on what we can think, imagine, and, and feel. And the solution is to open those windows up and look at God. When I look at God, despite the person that I'm supposed to love that I don't want to love, I've used this example a lot, but it's very helpful to me. When there's somebody I'm supposed to love, but I don't feel like loving them, I'm definitely not feeling affection toward them, but I'm supposed to love them and put myself out and sacrifice myself for that person. I'm not going to get there by looking at the person. It doesn't work that way. I look to God. What does he think? What does he want? And now he makes me look at me. And what do I see in myself? I'm no better than this person I'm having trouble loving. And that's grace. And I've been forgiven a billion. I can forgive a hundred. And now, because I'm related to God and I'm looking at myself as I am, I can look at this other person and be gracious. And there are people in your life you're going to have to do that thought process with five, every five minutes, some, ta- some days. Half of your problem is you thinking you're right and disgusted by them being different from you. That's half the problem. The other half is they're really being raunchy. That's a Sunday morning term, raunchy. I'm going to bring it back. If in the light we're walking as he himself is in the light, that's the experiential righteousness of God that you're called to, that your birthright, that we have to develop an appetite for. Maybe you're not there. Maybe you don't feel, I don't want to walk in righteousness. Okay, that's the truth. But you want to want to. You want to have everything God wants to give you. That'd be a good place to start. God, help me. I don't think this way. I don't feel this way. I'm too stained by the world. I'm too much part of my culture. I'm too interested in fun, and I'm really not at all, have, any, have no appetite at all for joy. Too, too much fun, too much diversion, God. I can't, I don't feel this at all. Help me have joy. Help me, help me develop an appetite for your things. That's, that's maybe the prayer um, for, for the young people, the goodens, the good young people of our day. God, I'm so, I'm so addicted to self-gratification that I have never considered your grace. And I don't think in terms of wanting you and being pleasing to you. That's a great prayer when it's true. But if you are walking with Christ in the light, then you're having fellowship with one another. We are having fellowship with him, with one another. That's the context. If we are walking in the light as he is in the light, then we're sharing light with him. We're having fellowship with one another. This is the fellowship of God verse. We're having fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. See, I, again, we talked about this the other night. The cursory reading of this verse makes us think that fellowship with one another is about Christians. Me and you. Horizontal relationship. Us. We look past each other's faults to Christ and then concern ourselves for one another as we're supposed to, despite those things that hang up in our, in our attitudes. Can you believe she said that? No, I can't. I can't imagine a frame of mind in which another human being would say that to another human being who ever wants to have any further relationship. But she said it and then she came over. And now we're supposed to talk, and I don't want to have anything, you know, you know what I'm saying? When you have these kinds of things, you look past the person, past their sins, past their, their differences, and you look to Jesus Christ, and then you start concerning yourself for this person, possibly in terms of these shortcomings. Sometimes you have to help someone who's out of line. But this is not fellowship with one another, like you and me. This is fellowship with one another, you and God. 
He is, he is in the light and Jesus Christ is son. The context, the whole thing is God. That's a controversial statement. But it's because we've been reading our Bibles, not, not, sometimes not studying them in a, in closely enough, I think. Which is good, read your Bible. But when the study says, hey, wait a second, there might have been a misapprehension, it's okay. We, we might need to make the correction. Because this is what's really important, and this is the only answer to those big problems with people. If you lead with fellowship, with, oh, if you lead with Christian fellowship, I'm going I'm to come out the pulpit. Come out of the pulpit. If you lead with Christian fellowship, guess what happens? It, it leaves you lacking. It's not satisfying. It doesn't ultimately feed you in what you need. It's like nutrition. If I'm trying to use avocados as the base staple in my nutrition, there will be some good things that will come out of that, but on balance, it'll be bad because it isn't a balanced nutrition. It's not really providing all that I need. Now, that could be a controversial statement for avocado people. I am one. I like them. But um, I like them with salt. I like them just by themselves. I'll eat an avocado. But it's not a, it's not a basis for your, meat, for, your, for your nutrition because it doesn't have everything that you need. In fact, it'd probably make you sick. You probably wouldn't like avocados after a little while. I'd say uh, one meal <laughs> of just avocados. Uh, that resonated. All right. So when, when I lead with you and me, what do I lose sight of? If I lead, I lose sight of the Lord. Because I can touch you, talk to you, hear you. I can relate to you in a way that God isn't. I want him to. Hey, I'll see him soon enough, right? We'll see him face to face when it's time. But that's what happens. That's, that's a big problem in evangelical Christendom is that we grab hold of one another and we never think about God. We get to work and help each other and do things and do, 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 but we're not thinking of the one that we're called to serve. So there's no real fellowship. And we're not dealing with sin, not dealing with much. We're culturally Christian. And it, it's okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's better than being a cultural antinomian, I guess. But it's not Christian spirituality. God first, and then you. And then please do this with me. Please, when you want to relate to me, go to God first. Okay? We will actually be able to sustain some sort of relationship and friendship over time if we start with God. And I promise to do that with you. Um, and if I don't do it with you, it's because I'm violating my own standards. And that's a repentance moment for me. I have to change my thinking about that. And uh, it happens. If in the light we're walking, as he himself is in the light, then fellowship we're having with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, is cleansing us from all sin. Number three, the rationale number three is lying to ourselves. Lying to yourselves, myself, about sinfulness. If we should say that we do not have sin, singular. Hamartia, singular. I think it's a reference to sin as a category or the sin nature. That I don't have it. I don't have sin. Now, when I confess my sins, I'm cleansed and forgiven my sins in verse 9. So is he talking about the sins that I've already done so I still hang on to them? No, he's talking about the sin nature. If I don't have a tendency towards sin... This is as a believer that is not yet resurrected. If we should say that we do not have sin, then we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, 
you know, he is faithful and righteous. Hina, with the result or purpose and result that he forgives us our sins, these sins that we've confessed. Oh, this is really helpful. Now watch here. You see this, um, that's our, the article there. It says T-A-S. You see that? It's TAS. See that article right there? Okay, here's what that does. When you have the article in front of this noun, it's a reference back to what we were already talking about. It's here too. And so it would be like those sins, but we wouldn't translate it that way because that's a little bit too much of an expectation. But I'm just saying the article in front of the noun will often refer back to um, uh, the prior noun. And at some point it's an arthritis, no article. But here, what we're saying is if we confess sin, the sins, then he is faithful and righteous and he forgives the sins. And that, and that means... That means that you don't need to hang on to those sins that you've confessed. He's done it. He's dealt with it. And I mean in a relationship sense. And there's two ways you're forgiven your sins. Everybody good on two, two kinds of forgiveness? You need to have this. If you believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you've been saved from your sins. You are forgiven of your sins, past, present, and future. Your sins are forgiven. That's how you get into a relationship with God. But as a believer walking with Him... I need to live in that relationship. We call that fellowship. That's a difference. You're not going to do something so badly that God says you're no longer my child. But you can walk as a prodigal and reject your father's relationship. That's what sin does. That's, that's, that's the prodigal. The father's waiting for the son to come home. The father is not chasing his son to the pig slop. He is waiting for a son to come home where he belongs. He's faithful and righteous so that he forgives us the sins and so that he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You have two uh, subjunctive mood verbs going with the hina here. And the first one is he forgives and the second one is he cleanses. And this is an interesting thing. It's not an if then. If we confess our sins, oh, by the way, he's faithful and righteous. He's not faithful and righteous if you confess your sins. It's not a straightforward syllogism. He's faithful and righteous anyway. But if we confess our sins, which is to tell the truth about our sin in this context, about lying and telling the truth, then he, because of his character, forgives us our sins. So he breaks the kind of syllogism to say there is a need to confess sin, but it's not, it's not about your, even the power of my confession. I confess my sins, but I wasn't really feeling it, so I don't think I'm really forgiven. It's not about the, the depth of your feeling. It's about the righteousness of God. And the, what we're saying is we have the blood of Jesus. That is the reason that in God's righteousness, he can wash you clean because Jesus has paid for those sins on the cross. He's, right, he's faithful and righteous so that he forg- uh, forgives us our sins so that he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now, this is the phrase, this is the word, I'm sorry, that I think is so vital to understand 1 John 1, 9, cleansing. We skip it. But he, he thinks of it. It's katharizo. Katharizo. Verse 7. We are having fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' his Son goes on cleansing us from all sin. The cleansing of the priest is a major theme throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament. The cleansing of the believer is essential. You're a believer priest now. To serve God, to walk in the light requires cleansing because sin makes us dirty. And so now the rationale number five. 
This is, he's building to a crescendo, to a mighty crescendo. Verse, verse 10, if we should say we have not sinned, then we're making him a liar and his word is not in us. As I've said, you don't make God anything, but it says here to poieo, to make, to make God a liar. So how do you make God a liar? Well, you're not making him a liar. It's a way of saying you're calling him a liar. If what you say is true, if you're describing reality, then God is a liar. But see, you're not describing reality. You're painting a false reality, calling God a liar. If you say you have not sinned. And so, boy, and, and <laughs> there are two things I really want to do in 1 John verses 5 through 10. Two things I really want to do. One of them is uh, basically a maintenance factor, and the other is a repair thing. Uh, and you need, you're going to need fuel. You're going to need consistency if you're going to walk properly. But if you fall, if you stumble, you're going to have to let God pick you up. There's a positive kind of ongoing thing, and then there's an occasional need. And the first one is verse 7. I need to walk in the light as he is in the light. And the second is if I confess my sins, I need to confess any sins that I might commit by walking in darkness. Those are really the two actions you want to take. Let me, let me dramatize that. Five rationales in 1 John 1, verses 5 through 10. We said the first one is if we say we have fellowship with God when walking in darkness, and, the, and the, the outcome is then we're lying and not practicing the truth. The issue is truth, okay, in this context. John is so helpful to attack Satan's schemes, to, to, to provide a defense against Satan's attack precisely at the point Satan attacks. Darkness hits you by way of deceit, by way of truth claims that aren't so. So he, he attacks it in terms of the lie. And your sin nature is lying to you all the time. If we say we have fellowship with God when walking in darkness, then we lie and don't practice the truth. The second one, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, what is it? Then we have fellowship with one another and Jesus' blood cleanses us from all sin. That's, the, that's an opposite kind of statement from lying and not practicing the truth, the way John develops it. The third rationale, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Do you see this awesome connection? We lie, a general statement, we're deceiving ourselves, a more specific victim. Lying is, doesn't have a direct direction in verse uh, 5, but when you get to verse um, 8, you're deceiving self. And we don't practice the truth. It's not even in you. You see how it's, it's getting worse as you go through? Verse 9, another positive. If we, if we confess our sins, then he being faithful and righteous forgives and cleanses. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. Now, when you read this, you saw that you felt the theme, but unless you kind of pull it out like this, you don't see the pattern quite as clearly as it's right here. And this pattern may continue into chapter two. I'm thinking maybe it does and expands, but it's definitely what's going on here. It's the lie and then the truth and then the lie and then the truth and then a, a, a big and a bad lie, right? And so the, we know how to get out of the maze. He gave us the, the key, as you walk worthy of your calling, you walk before him in terms of his righteousness, and that would be choosing not to commit personal sins, in part. It would be choosing to do what he said to do. And when you fail, confess. Walk worthy of your calling, and when you fail, confess. I heard a lot, uh, I, I have heard a lot of teaching about confess. I've also heard a lot of teaching about walk. Now, what is, the next, what is the next statement by the Apostle John in John, 1 John 2? What is, what is the next statement? 
back to the blue, I tell you these things, little children. Isn't that encouraging? We're just little children. To the Apostle John, his audience, they're just little children reading these complex thoughts. I tell you these things, little children, so that, for the purpose that, you will not sin. Tell you these things, little children, so that you will not sin. Because if you sin, you are going to hell. Right? Isn't that what John says? I tell you these things so you won't sin because I don't want you to go to hell. We're going to New England dangle you like a spider over the flames of hell. Most famous sermon ever, ever misspoken. <laughs> the sinners in the hands of an angry God. A room full of Christians that were dangling over the lake of fire. That'll put the fear of God into them. It's a beautiful, beautiful sermon. I just don't think it expresses the grace of God or would be appropriate to a room full of believers. If anyone sins, we have an advocate, a defender, a representative, a defense attorney. With the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, he himself is the satisfaction, the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for those of the whole world. This is, the, this is where Tulip comes crashing down. If it's a logical structure that only can hang together with all the pieces together, then we just took away L. I think any explanation of limited atonement that doesn't take account of 1 John 2.2 2 is, is a fudge. It's a cheat. Jesus is the satisfaction not for ours only. Oh, this means the apostles. But those are the whole world. That means the world of the elect. Please, it doesn't say the world of the elect. And it's John's word for the world. It's John's word for those that are deceived by the enemy of God. The cross is satisfaction to God on the account of personal sin. And the issue of the gospel is not what do you do with your sins. It's what has Jesus done with your sins. What did Jesus do for you about your sins? And if you receive what Jesus has done for you about your sins, then we call that redemption. But Jesus Christ paid for the sins of the world. In 1 John 2, 2. My favorite Calvinist is named Lewis Sperry Chafer. It's not John Calvin. I, I think Chafer is a much better theologian than John Calvin. <laughs> but, but he agreed with Calvin on Augustine, Augustine's view of, of uh, election and predestination. He believed, I think, that perseverance of the saints meant eternal security which is what I believe. But I don't think that's what the, 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 the Senate of Dort is saying. Dortrek, what they're saying in Dort is that a true believer will really act like it to the end. They will, they will persevere inevitably on I- issues throughout the New Testament which are commands for us to obey. So I, no, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think I see lots of divine discipline and great warnings and, uh, and the, I see failure among Christians all over the place. But, but so that's where I disagree theologically. Um, but, uh, but Chafer's my favorite Calvinist. And he would say, well, we, you know, you can't, you can't just d- deny what the word of God is saying here about the, the world, the sins of the world. Well, the, the main verse on the extent of the atonement that Jesus paid for the sins of the world is really uh, not my focus this morning. My focus is, is here. 
that God is telling the truth, God is walking in light, light is a reference to his righteousness, and the lie about my sin is what will stop me from walking in God's righteousness, from experiencing it in an ongoing way. So we need to tell the truth. We need to tell the truth. And how do you do this? How do you walk in the light as he himself is in the light? I call this message the nexus between fellowship with God and the filling of the Spirit. This is it. You only walk worthy of your calling in the power God gives you. It's grace. It's not your works. It's the grace of God working in you so that you work. It's not the energy of the flesh. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the operational, functional, intentional power of God working in you through his word. This is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 5.18, be filled by the Spirit so that you have all these results, that you speak to one another in Psalms, so that you sing to God in your heart, so that you're giving thanks to God for all things, so that you're submitting one to another, so that wives are submitting to their husbands, husbands are loving their wives. You know, the whole thing, Ephesians 5.18 through 6.9 is the walk in the light, in the power of God the Holy Spirit. The same thing in Colossians chapter 3, be, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with the same results of how we t- treat each other, how we treat God, how our relationships and our households work. It's the power of God the Holy Spirit in your life. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about Christian spirituality. It's having fellowship with him by walking in the light and experience of his righteousness and the power of his spirit. But I say, Galatians 5, 16, walk by the Spirit, let me inject a little John cross-reference, in the light, as God the Father himself is in the light. And back to Galatians 5, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I think these concepts are woven together this way in the New Testament. This is the apostolic teaching of the Christian life. This is the, the connection. This is the union. It is walking before God as he wants you to walk in the power he's given you to do it. So it isn't inevitable. It's decisional you have to choose this and i i can contend it's decisional it's your volition it's your responsibility because these are all imperatives now here he's not in john first john one he's not commanding you to walk in the light as he's in the in the light he's saying you you can't really do it if you're lying you can't do it if you're not doing it so if he, he serves it up in an even more more gentle way that it's your choice paul says do it Walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's called the Greek imperative. And what it means is that the person speaking doesn't make it so by saying it. The person speaking makes you inevitably responsible by saying it. And then you have to choose whether or not you'll do it. This is your experience. This is what you're facing when you want to reject someone and deny Christ his his imperative to love. Instead of in, in the power of the Holy Spirit, by going back to the Word of God, I go back to this undesirable object of love, and I say, there is desirability here because of who God is and what He said. That's, that's the, it's, we all face it all the time. I can choose to react in anger. I can choose to respond to God and take a breath. And as Thomas Jefferson said, when you're angry, count to 10. When you're very angry, count to 100. I'm, so, I'm paraphrasing. No, my anger's okay. God, Jesus got angry. He got angry about sin in the temple, so. See, we lie. We lie about our sin. And God isn't deceived. We're self-deceived. So I, I want you to get that nexus, the walk by the Spirit that we've really been focusing on in this little study 
of, of, of uh, spirituality is how you have fellowship with God. You can't get the two apart. Let, let, me, let me test it. Let me give you one little test to validate my, my theological connection here between the walk in the power of the Spirit and the fellowship that we enjoy in the light with God. What breaks fellowship with God in 1 John chapter 1? What will shut down fellowship with God? Okay, but, but you're calling it sin because you're interpreting a phrase. Walking in darkness, and we're saying, well, that's moral. That's dark, moral darkness, righteousness. Okay, so, so sin will break fellowship with God. With me? Okay, what grieves the Holy Spirit? And uh, Ephesians 4.30. Don't do all these sins. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You see, I think grieving and quenching the Spirit are a problem of personal sin, some sort of presumption. In Ephesians 4.30, it's a, a list of sins punctuated with do not grieve the Holy Spirit. We've, we've looked at that in Ephesians 4. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19, this is a controversial interpretation for some, but it's not, not, not to me. Denying the prophetic word of God will, will quench stop the work of the Holy Spirit. Spinumi will, it will, it'll quench it. There's a fire, an ongoing process, and you're putting it out by denying prophetic utterance. I had a man tell me, a former uh, Pentecostal who became a cessationist or a biblicist, who, um, who said um, that, uh, that you can't apply that. You can't apply that because he's talking about prophesying in the Thessalonian church. A prophet comes up and speaks the word of God. I said, yeah, you can apply that. We have a completed prophetic word of God here. And when we deny the scriptures, when we say no to the word of God, we are stopping the work of the Holy Spirit. That's everything we should expect from everywhere else. The work of the Spirit is described. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. You cannot have fellowship without the filling of the Holy Spirit. You can't have fellowship with God without him working in you. This is your birthright in this age. I don't think anybody was ever to, able to walk in the light as God himself was in the light in human history before the day of Pentecost, except for the Lord Jesus Christ. I think there were, there were, there were attempts. I think there were, there were lots of demonstrations of, of man who he did as best he could. Even David, who had the endowment of the Holy Spirit, has to pray that the Holy Spirit won't be taken from him. And so... I think this is unique to the age in which you live. It's new. It's never been experienced before, except for the Lord Jesus, empowered by the Spirit to fulfill the purpose of his Father. You are equipped by God to do exactly what he wants you to do. And walking in fellowship, now here, let's tie one other thing together. Let's just put the whole Bible, let's throw the whole Bible at ourselves. Walking in fellowship will be on mission. Walking in fellowship with God will be doing what he told me to do. I'll be about his business, and he's told me what it is, and it's to make disciples. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your spirit, for his indwelling, but also for his filling, enabling us to walk worthy of our calling. Father, let it be so in every one of our lives. Don't let us fall short of this awesome privilege, this fantastic birthright you've given us. I pray it in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen.